I will say when it comes to fundraising, it's never too early to start the conversations. Um, there's going to be a lot of funds that you are too early stage for, and they will tell you that. Um, but use the time that you get to be in front of them as one, an opportunity to get an introduction to someone else who it may not be too early for, and two, to just establish some rapport so that way in a year's time, when you do have something worthwhile or maybe you're more uh, ready for, for their criteria, that you have someone that you can follow up with and tell them like, yeah, look at all of the progress that we've made in the past year. You're listening to Moneda Moves, a podcast where we cover the intersection of money and cultura. I'm your host, Leon Alfaro, a Latina award-winning journalist, producer, and strategist. On this podcast, I will highlight stories illustrating Latinx relationships with money, our contributions, and role in the American economy. Here, we'll increase transparency around the netto issues and achievements of our community, as well as that of our POC peers, to inspire you to pursue your own financial poder. Join me bi-weekly as we cover stories with our community's front and center, alongside dinero experts, entrepreneurs, and innovators. No te lo quieras perder. Bienvenidos, Moneda Moves listeners. Lately, we've been thinking a lot about fundraising for companies, because as we discuss the rise of new Latinx entrepreneurs, this kind of capital you can secure as a founder is just as important. It's what helps a company scale and grow. But attaining this kind of capital and raising more than $1 million specifically has not historically been a straightforward journey for entrepreneurs of color, and even less so for Latinas. So today, we're sharing a story to help shed some light on the process and how the pandemic thrust two former startup employees into the world of entrepreneurship. This is the story of Agua Bonita's co-founder and CEO, Gila Castañeda, who broke fundraising records in 2021 while selling canned aguas frescas, a delicious fruit-derived drink popular in Mexico and Central America. Both she and her co-founder, Erin Pontel, arrived at entrepreneurship experienced in the beverage industry, but also without jobs after their employer startup closed mid-pandemic. As they so wittingly shared with Bustle, we joke a lot, when life gives you lemons, make aguas frescas. Castañeda became one of two Latina co-founders who raised $2 million in an oversubscribed pre-seed round for their company. This happened just a year out from founding it and also made Castañeda the first Afro-Latina-owned beverage brand to raise this amount. Among the investors' supply chain capital, whose founder Nora May Cadena we interviewed just last week in our episode of Moneda Moves. Our hope is that Agua Bonita is an example but not the exception to help many other Latina founders raise the capital needed to grow their business. Without further ado, here's our interview with Gayla Castañeda, co-founder and CEO of Agua Bonita. Today, I have the great pleasure of welcoming Kayla Castañeda, co-founder and CEO of Agua Bonita. Agua Bonita is our favorite aguas frescas packaged into cans, and so making them more accessible on the go. But Kayla is going to share so much more about creating the company, which originated mid-pandemic. So eager to hear more about your history. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I always love to get to tell our story and how we kind of were born mid-pandemic for sure. 
Let's go back a little bit to your roots, because I think that you have so many threads that bind where you're from and what you do today. So let's start at the beginning. You're from Central California and come from a family that picked fruit in the fields. Can you tell me about your relationship with the agua fresca that we know and love and the fruits that make it in in your history specifically? Yeah, of course. So yeah, I, I grew up in Central California in a town called Hanford. And this region of California is not what you see on television. It's not all palm trees and beaches. Um, it's predominantly ag-centered. So we actually grow about 60% of the nation's produce um, within a hundred mile radius of my town. So lots and lots of fields, lots and lots of crops. And um, because of that, historically, uh, many families that land here are the byproduct of migrant farm laborers, um, people that have followed the work uh, to get to California. And, you know, California really has a year round um, crop cycle. There's always something to be um, harvested. So my family was one of those families. Um, My grandpa immigrated from Mexico to Texas and then Texas to California as his family um, followed migrant farm work. And yeah, and and they picked in the fields. Um, He picked in the fields for a very long time um, until, yeah, he joined the military. And I'm I'm actually the only, um, or not the only, the first generation of my family to not have to pick in the fields. Um, So yeah, so we are very close with the land that we reside on. And because of that, um, I think it gave us a new appreciation for things that come, um, you know, that are grown here. And so one thing that my grandpa would do um, when he would come home from work, um, (laughs) he would come home with really like huge bags of fruit that were like super ripe and kind of just like on the sides of the road um, because he just couldn't stand to let them go to waste, you know, because he knew that this fruit was not going to go anywhere. It was literally just going to rot on the sides of the road. Um, And so, yeah, so we would often take these overripe fruits and make them into aguas frescas or, you know, um, sprinkle tajin on them and just kind of have a bunch of fruit around the house. And and that was really where I got introduced to aguas frescas as a concept and really those spicy and sweet flavor profiles that I think are really ingrained in Mexican culture. Absolutely. And as a Mexican heritage myself, uh, love agua fresca. And when I think of agua fresca, I typically think of having it at a restaurant, right? And ordering in a glass served fresh with ice. Now, two things I want to point out is you said the appreciation uh, for the, for the land and for how long it takes to cultivate the fruit, I think, in, 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 in relation to that. So I definitely want to talk about the sustainability factor of agua bonita. But also, uh, how how do we get it from agua fresca, literally fresca, straight from a, a barrel served fresh to in a can? Yeah, it's a pretty intense technical process, I will say. When I first started out, I didn't realize how much work was going to go into uh, really translating from you know a fresh product into a canned product. But having a shelf-stable canned product uh, is really important to us because it 
uh, increases the longevity that that life cycle of these fruits, right? So we take fruit um, that would otherwise go to waste. We do our best to rescue this produce. It's known as upcycling. And so anywhere in our recipes, we try to rescue as much produce as possible and incorporate it into um, our blends. But another part of that is going through a pasteurization process um, to ensure that everything is healthy and able to drink and it extends the shelf life, right? Um, because cold pressed juice or a fresh agua fresca, you can only have that for a couple of days before it also needs to get tossed. And we didn't want to create more waste with our product um, in the effort to negate food waste. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's a fairly technical process, especially because we're non-carbonated to stay in line with tradition. Um, you know, there's a lot of sparkling options of many, many beverages out on the market, but we really wanted to stay non-sparkling because when you get it at a taqueria or something like that, it's not sparkling. Um, yeah, so that was a tricky hurdle to overcome. And, you know, we had a lot of spoilage as we learned how to get a product like this made. Um, it does cost a lot of money as you, you know, work through these things, uh, food scientists. Um, it's, uh, it's a big undertaking, that's for sure. Um, but we thought that it was worthwhile to present something as authentic as we could get it in the format that we presented it in. Definitely can relate to just leaving the sparkling out of it. I mean, I, I when I think of sparkling, I think more of like a jarrito, right? Like a soda pop, but then that, that changes the flavor profile. You get so many different changes. So I definitely appreciate the staying with the, the just non-sparkling, just agua fresca as, as we see it and as it's served. Now, you mentioned that you use fruits that would otherwise go to waste. Can you talk to us about where the fruits that you use come from and the growing importance of sustainability, which we're seeing be an industry-wide topic that's very much growing and is set to be much more important in the coming years. We do our best to rescue as much produce as possible. Um, because I live in a part of the state that is very agricultural centered, um, we try to make as many relationships with local farms as we can. I think when I say local farms, oftentimes people think small farms, but because we produce so much volume in this region, the local farms are not really all that small. Not to say that we don't work with small farmers, but we really try to you know, strategically um, rescue as much produce as we can as we build those relationships. Um, it's a bit tricky because our blends use concentrates. Um, and I know that there is some debate around, you know, the concept of concentrate. Um, but concentrated fruit juice um, is also an effort to elongate the fruit cycle, the fruit uh, life cycle. Um, it's really just taking the water out and we as aguas frescas just add water back in. Um, so it, it kind of, you know, um, balances itself out. Um, so yeah, so we source domestically and we try to rescue as much as we can from people around here, from farmers around here. And then um, with every portion of, uh, of our sales, uh, part of it goes back to nonprofits that actually support migrant farm workers. So we tr really try to create like a closed loop cycle from beginning to end where it's like the fruit starts here and makes its way to the consumer in our cans and the money that they spend on it gets reinvested into the people that harvest the fruit and so on and so forth. 
I love that. I love that process um, from the way that you're describing it. And then with California being the epicenter of the United Farm Workers movement and having such important history, also such respect for you working with uh, local farms, uh, no matter the size, because it's so important. Um, now, Agua Bonita, very excited also to talk to you because it's powered by two Latinas, uh, your co-founder, co-lead being Erin Pontel, who's also CMO. Can you share a little bit more about how you met and how you arrived at this co-partnership? I think when a lot of people think about the endeavor of founding a company, it's a lot of work. And so to be able to find a partner that you can kind of uh, fall into step two is a very special thing. Yeah, Erin and I really, it was a stroke of luck, us meeting. Um, I used to work for Coca-Cola and um, that's really where I learned like the business of beverage. Uh, but after a while, I knew that Coke wasn't a place where my ideas could be brought to life um, because it's just such a huge corporation, you know? So, and I thought that I had learned a lot of being um, on the inside that I could help other companies with. So I started consulting um, for food and beverage startups. And one of the last consulting jobs that I took, I actually said yes to it the week that the global pandemic was announced, which is like terrible timing to say yes to a new job. I didn't know at the time what was going to happen, you know, um, but I decided to take on a consulting job for a cold breast juice company. And Erin was there as a CMO, um, but she was leaving on maternity leave. So we only overlapped um, virtually for about a week or two. But right from the start, we really uh, respected each other's work ethic. So fast forward um, a few months, uh, the company closed its doors and Erin and I were laid off. And we've th that was like in the throes of the pandemic where it was kind of really scary. No one knew what was going to happen. Everyone was stuck inside. Aaron had, you know, like a three month old. Um, I had two little ones running around here and we were just, yeah, commiserating a bit about how, you know, we would still love to work in the space, but um, just wasn't sure really what to do at that point. And I was kind of like, well, I have an idea <laughs> and, you know, maybe we should explore this. And um, pretty quickly, Awa Bonita was born. And so we were kind of taken hold by inspiration and just ne never looked back. Yeah. So I, I find it so interesting talking to, um, especially fast growth entrepreneurs, because, uh, we'd, we have like, I, right now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what that must be like to, in the throes of the pandemic, come with a concept of a company and just find somebody that you, uh, you admire the work ethic of, can you walk us behind the scenes of perhaps a pivotal point that you had with Aaron when it came to actually starting to test this concept, what is something that we might not otherwise know that you might be able to share from behind the scenes um that you realized you know this 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 is going to be big i think the first inkling that we had that we were truly onto something and hadn't just convinced ourselves that we were onto something was when we produced um, a pilot run of our drinks and it sold out in like five weeks um and then we went back into production and made about 10 times more than that and sold out even faster. And I think that was when we were like, okay, 
this we're, this has legs, you know, like the the theories that we had um, are actually playing out in real time and they are true, you know, and it, it made the all the months, all the money that we had personally put into it um, a lot more rewarding, you know, and worthwhile because we were able to like very quickly see um, this adoption to our idea um, right out of out of the gates. Um, but I will say like Aaron and I were in the unique position that we had both worked in beverage before. So we had a lot of consumer insight and we let that lead a lot of the decisions that we made um, with our product, you know, so it wasn't like just like blind faith and in going into it. There was a lot of data, a lot of statistics that we kind of, um, you know, went through to to get to where where we released a, a pilot. Yeah, and I feel like that market research does to prove to be very very important, as especially as you trial, I imagine. And and out of curiosity, who was who were the people you were first trialing with, or who was buying? We actually just released it um, online, like direct to consumer. We didn't like oh, wow. have a certain, we didn't do like a focus group or anything like that. Um, it was, we started an Instagram and, you know, started circulating our designs around our concept around just kind of attracting people very organically and starting to like use art networks to talk about what we were working on. And yeah, so that's how we sold out right away. So we, I think our company was uh, is a little bit unique in that the product market fit um, was kind of there much earlier on than having to go through so much trial and error. Not to say that we don't still go through trial and error, but you know maybe not as steep as as other companies do. Yeah, yeah, and that's and then that's what a lot of entrepreneurs, when looking for a successful company, they talk about that product market fit, which you just mentioned. Now, Agua Bonita, I also I also want to talk about the amazing uh, milestone that you crossed last year. Became the first ever Latina-run beverage startup to raise more than one million dollars in funding, and this is a very important milestone for a lot of uh, Latino-led companies because it, it, as it turns, not a lot of people exceed this particular milestone, especially I feel like when it comes to from where you're coming from, which is very grassroots led direct to consumer. Can you share um, uh, some gems from your journey when it as, as it applies specifically to raising funds and how you ended up also working with uh, supply chain capital led by Nora May Cadena? Yeah, so I will say when it comes to fundraising, it's never too early to start the conversations. Um, there's gonna be a lot of funds that you are too early stage for, and they will tell you that, um, but use the time that you get to be in front of them as one, an opportunity to get an introduction to someone else who it may not be too early for, and two, to just establish some rapport so that way in a year's time, when you do have something worthwhile or maybe you're more uh, ready for, for their criteria, that you have someone that you can follow up with and tell them like, yeah, look at all of the progress that we've made in the past year, right? Um, so that's how I approached fundraising. Um, like pretty early on, like our first month, I started reaching out to VCs and I was just like on Twitter um, finding them and on LinkedIn finding them and just Googling literally like pre-seed funds, venture capital, you know, stuff like that. Um, not exactly rocket science, but 
very, very time consuming and just sending out um, our information to every single person um, asking for, you know, some time. And the ones that thought that it was interesting, you know, ended up taking a, a call with us. Um, and if it was a no, which you're going to get a ton of no's, you're going to get a lot of no's, be prepared. Um, but every time that someone said no, I was like, that's obviously okay. Um, but can you give me the name of someone else who it might be a yes for? And that's how we started to build our network. Um, then we also went through an accelerator program. The one that we went through was called SKU CPG. And that helped us um, get introduced to a lot of mentors who are also angel investors. Um, and after working with them for, you know, a handful of months, um, just widened our network to other, you know, angel investors that may be interested in something really early stage. Um, so yeah, so one thing led to another. And I'm trying to think how exactly uh, I met Supply Change. I feel like Notamai and I have just like known each other for a long time now, um, now that we talk so often. Um, yeah, I think we met, I want to say, because one of our angels invested in us and then kind of handed us off to a friend who was acquainted with supply change. And I think that that's how our paths crossed. Um, but I will say, you know, like there's this saying that like your network is your net worth. And I didn't used to believe that, but now after fundraising, I totally do believe that. Um, the network is, is everything. And I think there's also so many great takeaways from you just said, uh, the other being finding the yes in the no's. So you, you'd hear no from someone and you'd say like, that's great, but can you tell me who it might be a yes for? So I appreciate the, the persistence here. And, and that's truly what it takes. It takes more accumulated failures and just increasing your probability of, of succeeding, um, is at least is what I hear from a lot of entrepreneurs. So thank you for sharing that. I think the other kind of takeaway for our listeners here is uh, in regards to people who may find themselves at a standstill in their career um, for one reason or another, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. We're going on year three right now. Um, and for anyone who may be in any remotely similar situation as you once were um, mid-pandemic without a job, also considering entrepreneurship, what kind of advice would you have for them? I would say that entrepreneurship takes a lot of self-awareness and that you really need to have, uh, be adept at like risk awareness and like, you know, be risk averse because you can't always just jump into things 100% head on, you know, um, and I would hate for anyone to make decisions that could be damaging to their family or to their lifestyle um, just because they've been struck by inspiration. Um, for us, you know, the pandemic forced our hand into going full time right from the jump because we didn't have a job. Um, and so maybe in a lot of ways we have the pandemic to thank for Agua Bonita. But I would say if you are starting a business, um, make sure that you have an appetite for risk, that you put some um, parameters around how much you are willing to um, risk. And also just, you know, make sure that 
your product or your project has some legs on it before you kind of just give everything up to pursue it. Um, because like I said, for us, we were lucky that like our, um, our product market fit was very early on. Um, but that is not the case for everything more often than not, it isn't the case, you know, so make sure that you build in a KPI where it's like, okay, if I get to this level, um, I would feel comfortable going all in. Um, that's, that's my biggest advice that I would give to people is, you know, just make sure, you know, it's a lot of risk and build some, uh, some goals around like what that risk looks like for you. A very analytical approach, which I think would only help a lot of people. Um, I like to ask all of the guests that come on Moneda Moves about their biggest money learning. Given your entrepreneurship journey, I would love for you to share your biggest money learning or plural in that context. Um, I would say my biggest money learning, and it's still an ongoing uh, learning, is just around venture capital. Um, it's a, it's a whole world in and of itself. And there are so many terms, so many, um, different types of deals and just learning what the different implications mean for you as a founder. Um, because if you don't really understand the mechanics of a deal, you are more susceptible to taking a bad deal. Um, that's just the end all be all of things. And so these are things that I'm still learning and, you know, um, making moves to educate myself on and relying on mentors and um, bringing on great uh, VCs and funds and, and capital, like with supply change capital um, for guidance. But yeah, I mean, you, so that's one of my biggest learnings is just the mechanics of venture capital. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Kayla, for your very candid responses. I'm so excited to see the future and the and, and so happy to see the success of Agua Bonita. And I can't wait to take it home to my parents. I, I kid you not, I, a lot of times when I see new products of this kind come, I'll come and take it to my mom and be like, hey, mom, let's try this. This is so cool <laughs> that, that that's something you shared with me um, in, you know, back in your town or from when I was a kid and you were like, this is great, um, is, is, is something that we see people in our of our generation being able to take a hold and take it to market and, and also make it available to a wider audience because mm -hmm. our, our diverse cultures make great food. It's a big part of yeah. our culture. So, so I love, I love the mission. I love the, the process behind it. And thank you again so much for sharing a little bit more behind the scenes of that. Thank you so much for having me. Always happy to share. That was Kayla Castañeda, CEO and co-founder of Agua Bonita. You can continue to follow her company's journey at the handle at Drink Agua Bonita on Instagram and Kayla Castañeda by her full name on LinkedIn. Thank you, mi gente, for joining us this week on Moneda Moves. Before you go, please make sure to hit follow on this podcast so you can receive new episodes right when they are released. You can follow right now in the app you're using to listen to this podcast. Also, continue keeping cuentas and keeping tabs on our Latinx community and money moves via our free newsletter written by yours truly at monedamoves.substack.com. That's monedamoves.substack.com. I'll see you there. Hasta la próxima.